0: How would you like to be celebrated? I think I'd like to be celebrated with lots of um, music, dancing, a bit of a party. I'd like to be celebrated at the pub with a few frothies. Maybe some colourful balloons, my favourite flowers, how about some glitter? I'd like to be celebrated in space. Outdoors, having all my family and friends together. At Tobin Brothers Funerals, they know that every life is unique and they think that every celebration should be too. Find out more at tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. On RSN, welcome to This Is Your Racing Life. Proudly presented by Tobin Brothers, celebrating lives. Here's Brian Martin.
1: Good morning. Welcome to This Is Your Racing Life. Brian Martin with you this morning. And uh, I'm on Stable Drive here at Flemington, looking for the Mark Cavanaugh Stable. I'm just going past Godolphin, and here's the Cavanaugh Racing Stable coming up now. I'm about to pull in the drive. Just a little bit further down is Lindsay Park, the famous... Hayes Racing Operation. Uh, the training precinct here is, uh, is an interesting one. It's near the top of the uh, straight six here at Flemington. Just around the corner is Danny O'Brien and further across Malure and Gay Waterhouse. We're here at Mark Cavanagh's stables now. I'm looking for Cav. No sign of him out the front. He's uh, been battling this guy, of course, with the protracted cobalt inquiry, which extended to close to five years. Uh, but he's back on track and he's a very good horse trainer, a trainer of a Melbourne Cup winner in uh, Shocking, a Cox Plate winner in Maldivian, uh, so he knows, he knows he's out. So, let's go and meet the man, Mark Kavanaugh. Mark Cavanaugh, how are you? I'm well, I'm good. You, uh, you look to have a bit of a spring in your step. I saw you at the Kite and races the other day and um, we had a chat and I said, look I want to come around and, and talk to you about this new series we're doing, this is your racing life. and You've had an amazing life, and it's not over yet.
2: No, it's not over yet. Today's the first day
1: of the rest of it. It's <laughs> <laughs> a very good good line. January, month just gone. Uh, it's five years since that inquiry started. The most protracted inquiry that involved you and Danny O'Brien uh, coming through the cobalt uh, charges, etc. You fought it. Uh, you both had a victory in the... Um, Public, the real court, as Danny O'Brien said. How did you handle all that?
2: Oh, look, it's no secret that it was tough, and our numbers went down. Our cash flow sort of went back to a drivel. It's more or less like a like a really good farm in a drought. Um, it's uh, you know unfortunate that uh, it happened that way, but uh, it's still a rule where there's a lot of a lot of clouds over it, um, and I I don't. Don't believe they handled it very well at the time, and uh, as it was, they jumped to conclusions. Justice was done, and and Danny and I, uh, you know, were uh, found not guilty. At any stage, did you uh,
1: did you just think to yourself, oh, I can't keep going at this because I'd see you at track work at Flemington, and um, you had you know, my observation was you, you had your head down, and you know, it, it was it was tough, and and I think it's a funny game, racing, because people tend to shun you if you're going through something like that. I've watched over 45 years in the game where all of a sudden uh, you're ignored. And there's, it's a funny sort of reaction from people. Did you find that?
2: Yeah, of course it is. And, you know, you've got to remember that Danny was disqualified for four years and I was disqualified for three, but we didn't do anything wrong. You know, at the end of the day... The case was the vet pleaded guilty to supplying a vitamin that had cobalt in it without his knowledge, right, and without our knowledge. And he got five and a half years for it. He pleaded that in court, but not those blokes up the hill. They couldn't have that. They said we knew. Well, no one knew. And still, you know, you can. there's people getting cobalt every day because it's in B vitamins and that's the problem here they pulled the trigger too early it was a local rule that they made and the rest of Australia followed and now they're getting egg on their face because it's just turned up everywhere
1: did you get to a stage where you weren't going to keep going Um, you had to chase justice and clear your name and you did in the finish but did you get to a stage where it was getting too hard
2: no no at the end of the day I didn't cheat I've never cheated what did it do to your business? Well, it destroyed it. It destroyed it. I mean, I had over 60 horses in work, and within a few few months, I mean, I mean look, there's truckloads that left here um, straight away, but within sort of six to 12 months, I was down to 13 horses. So I just... People wouldn't send a horse because there was a, a shadow over the stable of whether it would be here. I mean, and there was plenty of trainers that applied for this address. So don't worry about that. Did the same happen to Danny? Uh, look, Danny, similar, but not as bad because Danny had a lot of breeders and and solid customers with him that had been with him a long time that uh, he'd had. Whereas most of my business, I came over here from, from Adelaide in 2007 and my business was built up of 10% shareholders. And, uh, you know, I'd come from the bottom in the country and, uh, you know, got through with 10% shareholders, and he'd had breeders and uh, solid people from Melbourne all the way through. That was the difference. What about staff that were working here? Uh, They were slowly but surely talked out of working here and moving on and went to other stables. There was a a few other trainers that were uh, pretty happy to uh, circle around the carcass and grab what they could.
1: It's a pretty big complex here, the barn. You've got two barns?
2: No, I've only got one now. Uh, you can see the brush fence down the back there. I had two, and they were both full, but uh, I had to let one go, and we kept this barn here of, of 26 horses. At one stage, we got down to 13. So what was full house uh, when you were flying? Uh, about 72. Yeah, is, that, is that
1: as big as you wanted to be, or was that capacity here?
2: Well, the, we had 72 here, and, of course, we had the Adelaide Stable flying as well then. We have 40 over there. So anything that wasn't quite good enough from those syndicators we would send over to Adelaide and they'd still get the money, you know, and everybody would be pretty happy.
1: First group one was hard to get, South Australian Derby 2004. But I just go through the roll call of um, the horses, the stars, the Melbourne Cup winners, shocking. Who Begot You, Maldivian, Divine Madonna, that mighty, mighty mare Atlantic jewel. 11 starts, 10 wins. Super cool, Devil Moon, uh, catapulted undoubtedly, who of course won the, the Blue Diamond. Uh, December draw, he was a favourite of mine as well. The list goes on. Uh, your prize money sits at just on $47 million, 1,056 winners, 78 group winners, 21 at group one level. Pretty impressive. Yeah. You'd be proud of that.
2: Oh, I am, I am. Um, you know, it's been a long journey. I started off in Mount Gambia. So I don't think I've done too bad. You're a jumping jockey. I was, I was. And, and I, I just loved... Being a jumper jockey, I really enjoyed that. But, uh, you know, there wasn't as much money in that as being a trainer. But uh, I really enjoyed riding over jumps. It was really good. Now,
1: tell me, an Adelaide boy, um, just looking back through your, your story, your mum actually was the cook for a bloke called Bart Cummings down there at
2: Glenelg at the stables. Do you recall those days? Yeah, well, in those days, all the stable... The kids that worked at the stable, most of them lived there and they had to have somewhere to have the feed and my mother was single and, you know, they didn't have any pensions or anything then so she started being the cook there and, and I started knocking around the stables and that's how I became sort of really interested in racing. You started riding there? I did. There's a back lane between our place and, uh, and uh, Bart's Stables. There was a, a dirt back lane and I used to ride the pony up there every night. So this is sort
1: of uh, in the 60s, around the mid-60s? Was it sort of the, about the Light Fingers, Galilee time when Bart was starting to raid? That's right, yeah. that's right. What yeah. a
2: great time in racing. Oh, well it was massive and I was at, at primary school when you used to knock off at, at 3.30 and I could sort of be home and have the pony saddled up at quarter to four and they knocked off at five so, you know, I used to get sort of three quarters of an hour every night riding a pony. It was pretty good. How was Bart? What was he like then? well I didn't see much of Bart then, but uh Bart was always extremely interesting and and uh you know you could tell when he was around because the the stable staff and uh and uh, everybody were were in a different mood and and sort of a bit more polished than that but uh he was pretty meticulous. Did he pass on much information, like in terms of uh, how he did it? And a lot of
1: a lot of people say, and I remember talking to him uh, about his his life. He talks about his father, and he's very proud of his father, uh, Jim. But he's, he spoke about the feeding and how to feed them.
2: Yeah, well, I still feed pretty similar myself. And, I mean, I used to sit there and watch, you know, watch him make the feeds when I was seven, and there'd be... Chaff, oats, peas, beans, maize, and they used to boil the linseed and have the milo in it and the molasses and, you know, the basics are pretty similar now. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm positive because I've seen them boil the, the uh, barley next door that James is, is using his grandfather's uh, recipe from there on in. And you don't see many trainers boiling barley these days, but I'm sure James does. Is that right?
1: That's interesting. Yeah, he would have learnt that from granddad.
2: No doubt. Yes. yes that's what he did.
1: Um you you mentioned just before we started to talk here that uh trainers
2: that have actually started their time with Bart Cummings you know learnt the ropes there Ah, oh, there's many trainers that have been through there many trainers I mean you know Guy Walter Leon Corstens, you know John Wheeler just a couple that you know of uh, but there's hundreds of them that have all done some time mm-hmm. through there
1: you look back at Racing now, as it is in South Australia, I started my career there in 1970, and I was there for two years, um, and it was booming. It was absolutely booming. I've got to say, I look at South Australian racing, and I just shake my head. How, is it, how has it got to where it is now?
2: Look, I don't know. Um, I, I moved up there. Um, I started off riding and went to the booming Mount Gambier district to get a bit more experience and get going, and then started as a trainer and when I went back to Adelaide, my hometown, I thought, well, wow, this is going to be really good. But look, it's lost. It's gloss over there. Uh, Australia's got smaller. The roads have got better. It's not very far away in a plane and uh, it just hasn't got the wealth um, to support a racing industry as good as it used to have.
1: The money used to flow down from sort of Alice Springs and from the cattle stations and, and all the different sort of areas like that and there was a lot of wealth in Adelaide.
2: There was. I mean, look, Kidman's, the Birdsville track, they used to drive their cattle and everybody sort of doesn't understand that and they had a massive abattoirs there and, and a huge um, cattle yards and, and sheep yards and, and massive wool business there. The Michelle family came from Adelaide and, uh, you know... Kidmans were selling the cattle, and uh, you know, it, it, it's massive. But now it's uh, it's changed because there's good transport, there's refrigeration's better, and you know, just
1: bypassed Adelaide. They sold Cheltenham. Um, where where did that money go? Yeah, well, that's <laughs> yeah. Who By knows? the government, yeah.
2: Well, well, I don't I don't know, but they sold Cheltenham, and they lost. A, you know, Cheltenham had a different set of race-goers in Morfordville, yeah. and they lost those, right? And when they closed Victoria Park, we had a different set of race-goers. They lost those as well. So, you know, there's just one set of people that, that go to Morfordville now, and they're dwindling as they go. But we found, you know... I mean, look, the interesting part about it was, uh, you know, when I moved to Adelaide, I had uh, 17% of... Um, owners that lived in Adelaide and 17 not 70 17 and when I won my first premiership there I had four percent of the owners were from Adelaide Mm -hmm. so that just tells you where it's sort of going. What what brought you to uh, to Melbourne? Well I could see where Adelaide was going and I'd been having a bit of luck in in Melbourne you know and I won a few fair races anyway I I was a regular participant at the spring and the autumn carnivals and everything like that. Anyway, I had these group of horses that were, in my belief, way above average, and there was plenty of horses around in Melbourne, and they just built new stables at Flemington, and I thought, well, you know, I'll have a crack. I mean, I went, I went to the Adelaide Club one day for lunch, and uh, there was Melbourne Cups there and. There was Melbourne Cups on there and there and there. And then, you know, I had a look at it and, you know, there was a few blokes there that, you know, were interested in a small share in a horse. Well, you know, their grandfathers used to have four or five horses. So, you know, I realised then and, you know, like Hawks, he said to me, once you you move there, I don't know why you moved there, once you move there, you'll find out there's no money. No money in Adelaide. I had to leave. So, you know, I found that out. But uh, I had some good horses and... It was time to move and I thought I could make a real statement with those horses that I had and as it was, I was pretty right. Very much right and,
1: and you see the people who came out of Adelaide, trainers that, uh, well, Bart, of course, um, he's head and shoulders, he's, he's the man, isn't he? Uh, he? We'll never see the likes of him again but trainers like Mick Robins and Graham Hegney uh, they've had Melbourne Cup winners, and Johnny Hawks hasn't won one, but he's gone very close. Uh, so it's.
2: Hang you forgot David Hall.
1: David Hall, I was going to get to him, of course, Makibi Diva, yeah. the first, 2003. And those stables are just around the corner here from you that uh, Danny's got Danny's now. Danny's got
2: those, yeah. Now. Yeah, and these are, these are new ones. Actually, these ones started off as Aquanitas, and then they went to Hawkses, and I got them off of Hawkses. So they downsized their operation and upsized their Sydney one. So I got them off of them, yeah. Um,
1: so undoubtedly won the uh, Blue Diamond. Were you still based in Adelaide
2: at the time? Yes, yes. And I bought him out of Adelaide, as a matter of fact. And, uh, you know, that's, uh, he, uh, that's very interesting, yeah, uh, that a Blue Diamond winner could come out of Adelaide and be bred in South Australia. That's like the old days, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and he, and he sort of got here about run number three, was it? It was pretty quick.
2: Yeah, well... He won the, in Adelaide, I, hadn't all he? All of the family, right? It was Harry Perks' family. All of the family had won before Christmas as two-year-olds. And this bloke sort of was taking a bit more time. Anyway, uh, I said, oh, don't worry. You know, from from the first day I got the horse, so every time, you know, he was 190000 I had to sell the shares in him. So... Every time I would touch the horse or be near the horse, I'd say, this will win the diamond. 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 So, everybody I knew that heard this will win the diamond <laughs> would go and have 100 on it in the future. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, it was a massive collect for everybody, yeah. you know, in the, in the family and in the stable. I can give you the tip. Side Nazar, a comfortable leader around the turn,
1: a length in front of Testa Real, two for the back, then perfectly ready to the centre, followed by Bradbury's luck and well back in the race then. Uh, coming to the outsider's opportunity, side Nazar, the inside tackle by Testa Real, undoubtedly, and down the out. Outside, perfectly ready. Side, Nazar, undoubtedly has got to it. Undoubtedly he's taken the lead in the Blue Diamond. Coming clear near the line and undoubtedly he's going to win it. The boulder has scored just on a length. How far did he go, undoubtedly?
2: Where, what, what, he where didn't did he... want another race. Why is that? Oh, look, he just didn't go on with it. He uh, he was a rig and just had a few issues and that was that. Yeah, he had his day, didn't he? He did, yeah. Um, the Melbourne Cup,
1: and uh, shocking... Um, it obviously doesn't get any better
2: for, for a trainer. No, no. Can but, you
1: appreciate what, what it meant at the time, of course, the euphoria of it, but do you reflect back? I see there's a painting of him behind the reception desk here. and Yeah. He's, he's, they've got to be special.
2: Oh, look, they are. Everybody, everybody, uh, everybody wants to win a Melbourne Cup, right, whether they own it, train it, or whatever. And I wanted to win a Melbourne Cup from when I was five, I reckon, but I sort of thought I'd be winning it as a jockey. I didn't sort of plan it as, as a trainer, you see. And uh, anyway, one day I was sort of uh, down on my luck and battling in Mount Gambier and my wife said to me, uh, you bought a cross auto ticket? And I said, yeah. She said, uh, how much did it win? I said, nothing. She said, you know you've got more chance of winning the Melbourne Cup than buying a cross-lotto ticket, not I said, OK, I think I might stop because I haven't got no chance of winning the Melbourne Cup. <laughs> Did you remind Isabel of that on I've Cup Night? <laughs> I've never forgotten it and I've told many people that. Yeah. And from then on I sort of set myself to be a bigger and better trainer and get better horses and that was that. Yeah. Well, he's by Street Cry and look, he, he was around but he wasn't quite there and I, I didn't put any pressure on him at all until he sort of came, if, if you know what I mean yep. as a yep. thing and I was knocking him around in maidens and space in his races and everything like that and, you know, we were sitting there waiting and waiting and waiting and then, bang, he won a maiden at Bendigo Bendigo, yeah, yeah. Bendigo, the nursery of champions Yeah, some great horses through Bendigo I told them they should have put a statue of him there but they haven't done it yet Uh, (laughs) Anyway, he won a maiden there and I took him to town and I reckon he went second and then he won and then I took him to Queensland he went second in the Derby. That's right. Yeah. So I said, uh, 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 this will win the Melbourne Cup. And I said, oh, that's good. So anyway, I give him a spell up there and I'm messing around with him, you see. And Lawrence Eels, who owned him, he came in one day and said... uh, Oh, you're messing around with that horse too much. You know, look, he's got to, you've got to crank him up and get him qualified for the Melbourne Cup. I said, he's already qualified. I said, he's in. So I rang Carpenter, and because it, in those days you were second in the Derby, qualified you for the Cup, right, with no weight, 51 and a half. Mm. And I was messing around with the horse. I had Craig Williams get off and say it was too fat, and Corey rode him one day and said, oh, I don't know whether he'll run the trip and this and that. I said, look, I have him right on Cup Day. I know a fella, right, who taught me how to have it peaked, right, at three o'clock. And I don't have to have it peaked beforehand. I have to have it peaked on the day, right? So that's how it was. Anyway, Corey had another ride. He was going to ride Vigor for Danny. And uh, they had, if, if if you know, in the Scales Room on Melbourne Cup Eve there on, on Derby Day, they you come in and you... You pay up and sign your horse in, you see. Anyway, mathematically, they had it all worked out that vigor was going to be in the field and I didn't have a rider, you see. And I thought, uh, 51.5. Not too many around can ride it. Nah, scratching my head a bit, but I thought, nah, I'm not going to worry. Someone will turn up. Look, a Melbourne Cup. Someone will want to ride, won't they? Because anyway. he run on Derby Day. He won by five lengths. Exactly.
1: Right? And what weight did he drop from uh, the Hotham to...
2: Cup day. Oh, about, about five kilos. Five, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I thought, well, someone will want to ride. I don't want to worry about it. Anyway, I was sitting on the chair there watching who's paying up or whatever. And then suddenly this guy from New Zealand comes in and pays up for two horses that we didn't have in our mathematics. And that put Danny out of the cup and left Corey open to ride the horse. Oh, so I says to Corey, you ride my horse in the cup. He said, no, I'm riding Danny. So I said, Danny's ain't riding." I'd just done the mathematics. He said, I'm booked to ride Danny's, I'm going to do it. I said, well, I'll tell you what I'll do. If you can't ride Danny's at 6 o'clock, you ride mine. I'll wait. He said, that'll do me. So, you know, the rest is history.
0: Tanuas taken Elko Pop to the outside, just try and start some, uh, make some ground on this field. He's under some pressure around the home turn and back behind him is viewed. It's Waringa, tackled by Roman Emperor Gellion's reach crime scene a little wider out when they corner Fumacino trying to find a way clear, followed by Zavit, shocking putting in a run, Harris Tweed down the outside, Sailor Gear is threading through, Elko pop out very wide 300 metres to go, here's shocking after crime scene who'd hit the lead, Harris Tweed was rider out and then Sailor Gear and pop. it's crime scene and shocking, racing clear at the 200 from pop. it's on the outside, shocking and crime scene, shocking with his head in front of crime scene, shocking, drawing away. It's shocking to win the Melbourne Cup from crime scene. Marillion's come from nowhere to grab third.
2: It's an amazing story, isn't
0: it? It gets better.
2: Yeah? It gets better. So I'm sitting there, after I won a cup, you see, I'm sitting there, and I look out the corner of my eye, and here he comes, with the sunglasses on. Bart. And then over he comes, shakes my hand, he said... I knew you'd win one. I said, did you? Yeah. He said, I knew. I said, when did you know? He said, I always knew. I said, well, when didn't you tell me? He said, I thought you knew. I said, oh, no, I didn't know. Oh, I thought you knew. <laughs> it's a strange conversation. Yeah. That's where I was left.
1: That's where I was left. <laughs> Oh, amazing, amazing. The victory, and, and it was an emphatic victory, wasn't it? Number 21 to win that cup. Um, how did you feel after the race?
2: Look, could you really? Did it, it doesn't, hit you? No, look, it doesn't. You thought I think it does, but then suddenly you're there and everybody's moving fast and you're like you're in slow motion, mm. you know, mm. and everybody's talking to you and hugging you and all of that stuff, and you, you know, look, and then you, you. you You go up on the dais and you get your trophy and, you know, it's... You're in the history book. In the history book. You're in the Miller's Miller's Guide. You're in that club. (laughs) You're in that club that not everyone can join. Mm. Doesn't matter how much money you got or whatever, you're in that club and that's that. Well, you look at uh,
1: the stables from overseas, that are desperate to win it, you know, and how long it took Godolphin to win it. Um, Coolmore still want to win it, so it's, you know, it's hard to get.
2: Well... (laughs) As I Lloyd's got it. <laughs> I said to someone, look, do you realise how hard it is to get that Melbourne Cup? It is hard. You know, it's really hard.
1: And there's a disappointment, of course, um, and you had that with a very good horse called Maldivian, who won a Cox Plate in 2008, but you had to go through the pain of the Caulfield Cup and... The sensational, late scratching, horses going off. Was it Eskimo Queen that was actually kicked and got down in the gates? Yeah. And that triggered everything off?
2: That triggered everything off, yeah. And he went up in the gates and, look, there was a, a like a clamp thing that was brand new and it, it just had a sharp edge that, that he touched and it just split his hide open and then he started bleeding. Oh.
1: Um, when you look at the result, and funny enough, Danny O'Brien won it with Master O'Reilly,
2: your mate. Yeah, it's uh, it's remarkable, and and it couldn't have gone to a better place. And uh, you know, it's interesting that you know he actually won the Cox Plate the year that Atlantic Jewel broke down and had to be withdrawn. So uh, that's been been pretty good. And and then we share the point where I won the Melbourne Cup with his jockey that he was actually balloted out of. So is there's that closeness there, and we've been mates for. Years and years and years, he used to stay with me when he came to Adelaide. But there's that closeness and bonding there, whereas, you know, the disappointment, but your, your mate wins, so that's so exciting for mm-hmm. everybody. And
1: uh, th- that Cox Plate, I remember one that won the 2008, pretty slowly run for memory, but at the time, as you say, Atlantic Jewel was the, the pea. Um, mm-hmm. She was a mighty mare, wasn't she? She was remarkable. she your favourite?
2: Uh, look, she's... Close to it. I like Madonna too. I like Madonna a lot. But Atlantic Jewel, look, once you get these horses that are unbeaten, the pressure that becomes or you put yourself under if you're a true professional, you put yourself under pressure for these horses to continue to win, you see, and they're expected to win. And they get these fan clubs and everybody's there. And um I Don't mind telling you, I don't know how Pete got through Black Caviar because, you know, there was so much pressure um, with uh, Atlantic Jewel and, look, you know, the first thing they did before, when when Dundee beat her that day, the first thing they did was come to me and said, how do you feel? And I said, (laughs) oh, well, you know, if you've run second in a group one at Caulfield and you're going to be complaining you shouldn't be in the game while I'm curling up inside... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
1: yeah 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 um look it's a done deal It's a terrific horse he's a very good stallion um but I think everyone we were hoping that those wins would remain intact because exactly. she she deserved to sort of have that record and as you say you talk about Peter Moody and even when you look back 25 for 25 I mean going offshore not being quite right to win the in front of the Queen that, the black caviar story, the Winx story is phenomenal, but I think with Atlantic Jewel she gets a little bit lost in discussion because we had these great mares from Sunline, Mackaybe Diva, Black Caviar, and then Winks. Don't forget Atlantic Jewel.
2: Yeah, look, Atlantic Jewel. The problem with Atlantic Jewel was she was just had too. She was just too fast for her own good when she quickened, and then she could shy at doing 10.3. You know, and you know that's where she got her injuries from because she would shy sort of uh, Hurt in mid-flight. Mm. And look, she won the uh, she won the wakeful here by seven lengths, it was devastating, yeah. right? But shied at the tent and twitched her back. You know, so and that there goes the look, axe There goes the axe She couldn't go around the oaks, mm. right? Well. So you know, like I mean, you know. That was that was it was nice to have a fast horse, no doubt about that.
0: And at Atlantic Jewel, she's gone up to join them on the outside. Rod sitting pretty quietly and is about to let her go into the straight. Ajeeb kicked, he's drawn three quarters clear. Here's Atlantic Jewel, she's let down at the 200 like it was only yesterday that we saw her. She's sprinted away now and it's all over. Atlantic Jewel raced three links from Ajeeb. Happy Trails, Furlacs, super cool coming home, but welcome back, darling. Atlantic Jewel by three eased up. Let's
1: break your heart when you know you probably got one of the best horses in the land and, and you, you can molly collar them to a degree but they, you've got to remember they are animals you've got to leave them alone and they can still hurt
2: yeah yeah oh well um that's what happens I mean you know you get good horses like you know Maldivian who's big and strong but you know too big and strong for his own good because his, his joints got hurt and things like that you know so it's just the way it is.
0: Swinging for home again, Moldavian finds the lead from Thesia Raheeb, zipping and Samantha Zarita behind them. Moldavian for home, led by two lengths down the outside and zipping. Samantha Missens, then came Zarita. It's Moldavian, well clear. Samantha Miss running on strongly, zipping coming back, but Moldavian wins it. Moldavian a length to zipping, a half head. Samantha Miss, I think third, just in front of Zarita.
1: Another ripper for the stables, who begot you in the shocking colours, Lawrence Hills.
2: Yeah, Hooby was a uh, was a beauty. Um, he came here. He w- wasn't an expensive horse. Lawrence Hill sent him here, and and he wasn't having any luck. He had a couple of horses that were going no good, and uh, you know I struggled with the name Hooby got you um, or whatever. Anyway, uh, he said to me, uh, "How's that other horse going? That other street cry there." I said, oh, which one's that? The, that other one, Maria de Castaglia. I said, oh, yeah. He said, I've called him shocking because I'm having shocking luck. I said, not anymore. <laughs> anyway, you had your horse is going to Geelong on Friday. And he said, oh, yeah, fair enough. Anyway, of course, he won. And uh, then we took him to Mooney Valley, and halfway through the race, I looked at him and said, oh, congratulations, you've got a champion." And he goes, well, and of course he just went out and cantered around them and one easy I tipped him out and then got him back for the guineas. Yeah, gee, he's was a good galloper, wasn't he? Oh, God, he's a wonderful horse. He's one who, he, he competed at four spring carnivals in a row yeah. at group level. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Very few can
0: do that. Very few. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, another one, December Draw was
2: another favourite an horse, he came to me from England and he was a big ball of fluff and the blokes bought him to win the Wagga Cup. and You must set this horse for the Wagga Cup. I said, righto. Anyway, I got him sort of going a bit and he wouldn't lose his coat and he was big and fluffy and all of that stuff. And the guy would ring me up and I'd say, oh, I don't know about this horse, but I suppose he's good enough for a Wagga Cup. I'm going to run him at Flemington over a mile, first up. Well, what are you going to do that for? I said, look, oh, because I think he's too slow to run in any shorter races, you see. Oh, yeah. He ran a good race one day over there uh, in England at Royal Ascot in a restricted race. I said, yeah, I know that. Anyway, I took him to the races and uh, he put one step on the racetrack. He had a bit of a look around. And I rang the bloke up and I said, hang on, this ain't the same horse I sort of had at home here. You better go and have something on this horse. He's on the job. He said, you told me he's... I said, Well, I'm telling you now, he's totally changed, and I'd be thinking you should have something on him. What did you see? Oh, well, he just got on his toes. Well, he'd just been relaxed. Game day? Here. Yeah. yeah, he knew it was game day. And he, he felt well, he was sound, he was happy, and he won. And the bloke said, You beauty. Uh, I, I said, Yes, well, I'll give him another run. And of course, I put him around three weeks later, and he won again. He said, Oh, you beauty, this will be winning the Wagga Cup. I said, No, nah, mate, I'm not going to Wagga. This is a real horse. We'll, we'll be winning a Group One in the spring. And of course, he did. He won the Turnbull. Gee, and where did he go after that? Look, he went to the Caulfield Cup That's and he sort right. of galloped on and, yeah. and had an injury and all of that stuff. And, uh, you know, he didn't sort of win again after that. He didn't recapture the form.
1: Tell me about Divine Madonna.
2: I, I loved her. Um, and I remember
1: doing the sectional breakdown one day and I reckon she ran her last 600 in
2: nearly sub-33 like she had a deadly finish at the highest level yep she she became a real crowd favourite because they would be waiting for her look when we first got her there was sort of you know jockeys would come and you know sometimes she would get too far back and not finish it off good enough to win and she had a few issues as a As a three year old filly, and uh, look, she won the Twilight Glow and things like that. And, you know, one minute a jockey would say, gee whiz, if she was a bit closer, I could have won, and all of that stuff. So we didn't really work out how to ride her properly until her four year old spring season when I just absolutely said to all the jockeys that rode her, now just get out the back and don't move, don't do anything until the last 600, and then just let her go. Give her clear air. Give her clear air. And, uh, look, you know, she, she won the, the Maya here and then she won the Emirates. And, uh, you know, when she did win the Emirates, I mean, uh, Stephen Bastard was coming back to scale and he said Mark Kavanaugh was so clear. He wanted this thing ridden, back, asleep and just have the last crack at him. And, uh, look, she was just devastating. Mm.
1: And M. Rod seemed to get on well with her. M. Rod got on well with a lot of your horses.
2: Yeah, well, he just he just suited him the relaxed situation, and Michael had with the horses, and you know our relaxed relationship just suited the place perfectly at the time. He's
1: got good stats with you, Michael, right? One hundred and seventy-three winners by my records, Uh, prize money of sixteen point four million. You've looked after him. (laughs) Yeah, yeah,
2: I did. (laughs) I did. I did you know it was funny i i I moved to melbourne and i I had four horses and uh he he was with lloyd you see and uh he he wasn't handling the pressure you see so uh he came down and and rode a bit of work one day and i was only just getting going i think i had a couple of horses here for the winter and then going to bring the the gun spring team in you see anyway He said, oh, look, I I sort of thought I might come down more regularly. And I said, oh, yeah, well, we're pretty right. We've only got a couple of horses. Yeah, he said, I thought I might sort of be a stable jockey. And I thought, what? (laughs) He's telling you. (laughs) Are you kidding? (laughs) And I said, oh, well, you know, if you come down and you do the riding, you know, well, that'll be okay. But, you know, like, I mean, well, we did have a, a big day that sort of set the foundations for that spring, you know, on the 31st of March of 2007. Four states, was it? Three states? <coughs> three states, four winners, two in Sydney, one in Melbourne and one in Adelaide, and they were all group a listed wins. Uh, group one with Madonna, group two, Tip and Woody, group three, Devil Moon, and a listed race with Maldivian. Um, and, you know, that sort of set the foundations for us to get really going in 2007 spring. And the uh,
1: montage of winners, the photos are hanging on the wall here.
2: They are. (laughs) They are. They are. Anyway, uh, that's that's sort of the way it was. And uh, they went on with it in the spring, and they all won group Rome races. What about Devil Moon? What about her? Well, Devil Moon came to us uh, from the breeders. They kept her. They couldn't sell her. And uh, we got her going. And uh, she was a bit of a devil. Um, had a crack at her first up and a maiden at Balaclava Cup day and she got done ahead Um, brought her to Melbourne and she won a couple of races but she really matured as a four year old mare and won the Turnbull she was, I think she won her first four starts as a four year old mare in the spring She by King Cougar? King Cougar, that's right but she was closely related to uh, Skybo from the same family as Skybo and uh,
1: Leon McDonald, a very good stay. I ran in, I think, about four or five Melbourne Cups.
2: Lenny Smith. LJ oh, Lenny, Smith. LJ
1: Smith it was, yeah. I knew it was Adelaide. Yeah, yep. LJ oh, Smith. Oh, Lenny, yeah, good man.
2: Blue, pink circles, yeah. a pink cap, yeah. Placed in one of them. Dwayne Dunn, I reckon, ran third on him one year. Yeah,
1: yeah.
2: yeah. yeah. Um, he ran in five Melbourne Cups. Yeah, yeah.
1: Lenny, great, great man, Lenny. Lenny, Lenny
2: President of the Trainers Association with Lenny. Yeah, yeah, he's a good fellow.
1: Um... And you mentioned Timpan Woody. Yeah, he was a favourite
2: with a lot of people. He's a ripping horse. And, uh, you know, I uh, I bought him in the Adelaide sales. He was bred in Adelaide. And uh, I got him going. Anyway, uh, give him a few gallops. And, you know, he's the gun sire for Sarchi Pegasus. Yeah. So I rub my hands together and think, yeah. A lot of those were mad, though, weren't they? So was he. Was and, he? Uh, yeah. Anyway, so uh, I thought, you beauty. Anyway, I whips him over to Melbourne and puts him in the Talender stakes. First start in the Talender. I thought, yeah, well, this will win the diamond. This is easy. I already won one diamond. I'll just be winning another one. So I put him in the Talender and we put our dough on him and said, well, he would just be winning this, right? Anyway, what's the danger? Oh, I don't, I don't rate that horse that won a maiden at Ballarat there. Miss Finland, we don't rate her. A maiden at Ballarat. If she was any good, they wouldn't have put her in at Ballarat. Anyway, she beat him by a head. <laughs> <laughs> of course. And the only filly
1: to win a golden slipper and an oaks in the same year. Yeah, that's
2: right. Uh, what a star she was. She was a star. She was a star. I, I did have Maldivian in against her in the Yolamba one year and... David A's come out and he said to Craig, now listen, Craig, I don't want your grandstanding here. This horse is getting ready for the Melbourne Cup and I'm listening. <laughs> <laughs> so when you're six in front, give it a couple of, around behind the saddle to make sure she cleans herself out with you. And he said, yeah, righto. So I'm sitting there, you see, and Maldivian just strides up alongside and there's the face up there. <laughs> 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 he just galloped past her for practice. Wow. She just never
1: went on with it. No, nah, and he did. He did. Yeah, big, strong horse, wasn't he? Oh, yeah. He was a massive horse. You were saying Maldivians on your farm? Yeah, yeah, I've still
2: got him there. I was out talking to him this week. He comes to a whistle or any sort of thing. Why didn't he go to Living
1: point? Legends? You want to keep him, obviously.
2: Um, Joe, uh, who's very sick now, but Joe was. Uh, was sort of against that and his family sort of didn't get involved in that sort of thing. Yeah. And, you know, he was sort of sick at the time when the decision was made and it was a, a pretty rough time for everybody. Mm. Mm. So, you know, we just left him out there yeah. and that was that. And he's got a good yeah. home there. Well, you know, um, yeah, he donated to the deposit. I mean, you know, there was plenty of times where... where you know, I was lucky to have him, but right now he's pretty lucky to have me.
1: Yeah, that's a fair call. Uh, the property, the farm, where's that?
2: Well, the farm's just out at uh, just out of Diggers Rest, where all the best uh, all the best farms were. You know, in the '60s. I mean, Stockwell Stud. Stockwell Stud's just down the hill. Mm-hmm. Um, all of those were there. I remember, you know, going through in Bart's truck, picking up uh, horses and dropping. Saint John's on. Lane, St. John's, Mackayby Diver. Saint John's, um, maybe my Wait a minute, maybe Mahal, house, Saint John's Lane. Yeah. I bought that and tacked that onto mine. Mine's next door to that. Ah, yes, Doug Reed's place. Yeah, that's right. that's it. And, and good country, uh, outstanding country. Look, it became a bit dear, and once they needed to really stock it up, mm-hmm. uh, it became a bit expensive, and you couldn't run the numbers on it in those days. But now with irrigation, you can, and it's uh, it's a really beautiful property
1: this is your racing life is our program this morning for tovin brothers funerals celebrating life we're celebrating a a, a training life and a racing life and an interesting bloke and that's mark kavanagh we'll take a break and we'll come back with more
2: what vehicle would you like at your final farewell
0: i'd like to go out on a harley get the engine revving i'd love a ford a chrysler it would have to be a holden because i learnt to drive in a holden
2: A Dodge. Um, definitely a Harley.
0: I think I'd like to go out in style in a limo.
2: Ah, I love my Ford. It's got to be a Ford. At Tobin Brothers Funerals, they have a variety of vehicles to choose from. Find out more at tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives.
0: You're listening to This Is Your Racing Life. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives.
1: We're back with This Is Your Racing Life and uh, our man this morning is Mark Kavanagh. I'm really enjoying this, Mark. Uh, We've covered plenty of ground. Tell me about your lads, Sam and Levi. They're both young trainers. (coughs) How's
2: Sam going? Well, Sam's sort of battling at the moment. He's uh, done his time and I think he's due back uh, in the next couple of months. Yeah, so where's he based? In New South, isn't he? He's in New South right now, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Is he going all right? Oh, yeah, he's going all right, I suppose. I mean, he's sort of found the error of his ways and ready to get on with it now. But uh, got plenty of ability? Oh, he's a good trainer. Yeah. Um, Good young man. I mean, we were a very good, very good solid team when we had the two stables and he was doing Adelaide and... Levi and I were doing Melbourne, it sort of worked out really well. It was great and we wanted to continue on with that, but Sam decided to go on his own.
1: The partnership is a big thing in racing and, of course, with the proliferation of racing, day, night, day, night, twilights, we all know all that. Two days we don't race, good Friday and Christmas day, and that'll probably change in time. Any thoughts of partnership with either Sam or Levi?
2: Well, Levi sort of trains here. He's sort of on his own, but... um that's up to him. He wants. He's a bit, a bit solid like his father and independent, and he wants to uh, make a name for himself on his own mm. before we sort of discuss anything like that. And look, he's a, he's a good young trainer who's got a good eye for a horse. He's got some, uh, some pretty nice stuff coming on, so I don't blame him for wanting to stay on his own for a couple more years. I mean, they have this phobia about being dad 's boy sort of thing, um, but he hasn't he wants to do it on his own at this stage how tough is is it for a young man or a woman to start out training it 's really tough they 've got to get going and be able to find a horse and then find an owner uh, and that look Levi kicked off with uh, a couple of horses but his his first real horse that he had. Uh, he took it to store one day and it won a maiden and then he took it to flemington next start uh, seven furlongs three-year-old listed race cup carnival and tipped it and it won again last race levi so uh you know people were asking me and i said oh i don't know and that's kentucky breeze and i mean yeah. he's, he's turned out to be a really good horse so Ooh. he hasn't been training that long uh during the situation I mean, you know, he got his license while the cobalt was on, and they made it really hard for him. And uh, but once the dust settles about all of this stuff, I'll, I'll just see what happens. But you know, he's got a, a pretty good stable at the moment, so he's going to keep it to himself at this stage. Yeah, he's a sharp-looking lad too, and he's uh, he's pleasant
1: company. And uh, yeah, just from the outside looking in, he'll make it.
2: Yeah, he's he's a good horseman, and look, he's he's had and the good experience. grounding. Yeah. Well, he's worked for Magic Millions. He's He was working there. He did all the sales around Australia. Uh, he's been to Hong Kong. He's been to England. He's been to Japan and had a look at the training situations there. And he's been all over the place. And, uh, you know, he's just starting to get his feet on the ground now. And he's getting some nice horses and some nice owners around him.
1: It's going to be hard to win a Melbourne Cup again. Uh, the man around the corner, your mate, did it with Val and Declare in 2019. But... A lot of trainers, local trainers, would say, "Well, it's you know, it's it's got up to the imports now. Um,
2: you know, there's there's too many of them coming." What, what, what's your thought on that? Uh, look, Danny's horse found declares not an import. They all want to get an import and all of that stuff. At the end of the day, nothing is hard if you got the right horse. Oh. And the horses are here. I mean, Shocking was here. He was just trained properly, right? And you know, you you can't have them ready for every race. Bart taught me that, you know. You can't have them peaking for a whole spring carnival, you know. In years gone by, they used to have sprinters and they had stayers. And now they want the horses that will sprint and stay. Well, you know, you've got to choose the right horse and if you're going to go for a Melbourne Cup, you've got to go for a Melbourne Cup and not get off on the side of the road here and there.
1: Racing copped a a battering through the... um the abattoirs with uh, exposé on four corners. Um, Interestingly enough, timed right at the spring carnival, seems to happen that way so often. What do we lose and how can we get that,
2: uh, that perception back? Well, look, everybody wants to make racing responsible for their horses. You know, how are you going to do that? Because when I sell a horse, someone else buys it. That's right. Right? I don't own it anymore. It's not my responsibility. So, you know, they want to say it's racing's responsibility. Right, we sell them, okay, and someone else buys them. It's those people that are involved or buy them as uh, whatever for. And that turnover chain can happen five and six times. That's right. Racehorse trainers, they say they, they need to check on the welfare. Well, they do. But at the end of the day, they've encouraged so much syndication that we have to sell a horse honestly and and transparently through an online auction or or whatever and it goes to another place and once it goes to another place it's not your problem well we can't interfere if i buy a yearling and the breeder tries to interfere with me sorry mate it's my horse now and that's that's what happens and you know they say oh you used to train that horse and he went through the abattoirs That's not my fault, right? Not that 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 has happened to me, but that's not my fault. I mean, I look after my horses or or whatever, but if it's a syndicate's horse and you sell it, you can't be responsible for that once it's out of your stable. And again, it can be sold on on and on. It has been. Yeah, a lot of them have been. How do we fix that image? Well, look, I don't know. Um, Where you sit right now is is you had a a trainer the other day that... uh, was charged with not looking after his horses out at Digger's Rest there, well, you know, uh, I don't know how how poor they were, but, you know, in a drought, when you've got horses left there that you don't own, you know, um, what do you do? You can't afford to feed them, so what's he do with them? He can't sell them, he can't put them to an abattoir's, but then he, he can't afford to feed them. So he gets penalised. Where's the catch-22 catch here? What does he do with them? If he can't afford to feed them and he can't sell them, right, because they're too poor, and he can't put them to an abattoir's, what does he do with them? We need an answer to this question. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's easy as that. Now, everybody can say you've got to do this, you've got to do that, you've got to do that. Now, you know, with livestock and drought, you get skinny horses, you get fat horses or whatever, but I need some of the authorities to tell us what that man should have done. Mm. What about the whip? Well... That's interesting too. You know, we've got a padded whip and we use it too much, but uh, but we used to be allowed a hot brand them and now we freeze brand them, which was quite humane. So I think that one's got to be explained to me too. Mm.
1: In the five years, that you know, it was a battle for you um, with what, what was happening in your life. What, what did you learn in that time?
2: Uh, look, I learned never give up and, you know, if... Uh, you're not guilty you did nothing wrong there's no reason to worry so uh, we just fought on and waited for the clouds to clear how about mrs cabana how did she go yeah well she's got a sore back from Carrie and the family <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah well um we're all sort of still together and it's been a rough road but we certainly uh We've had some wonderful friends and and family that have uh, supported us, and and Danny and his family and uh, us sort of stuck together through the fight. But uh, I think we'll come out of it pretty strong and pretty tough.
1: What, what are the targets now? Have you got a horse in the stable that it, it might be the one that's going to
2: take you to the level that you, you you really want to get to. Well, you never know your luck. What about Alice Park? Alice <laughs> Park? Yeah, he looks he looks. Uh, a nice a nice type of a horse that's sort of on his way and, you know, we won't be sort of knocking him around too much and we'll see where he takes us. And the
1: horse, Modern Negro Man, is it, for uh, Bruce McAvady?
2: Yeah, yeah. Nice horse. He's a nice horse. Um, he's, he's a uh, progressive sort of a horse that, uh, you know, just hasn't quite got there yet, um, but always promised to and was nursed through his three-year-old career and now look he's he's had a couple of starts back and uh you know we'll see where he takes us i think he can be a sort of a up-end top-end sprinter
1: we're here in the autumn uh speaking to you this is sales time around australia are you back on that wagon
2: uh levi's in sydney at the sales he's been to magic millions and yeah, we, we're back on that wagon. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, we'll be buying horses and, in Melbourne and uh, in Adelaide and in Sydney. So
1: the good news is that the
2: Kavanagh stable, Mark Kavanaugh
1: here at Flemington, is open for business.
2: I'm not dead yet.
1: <laughs> <laughs> on that note from our sponsor, Tobin Brothers. <laughs> hey, Mark, thanks thanks on this Sunday morning for sharing some time with us. Um, I've been wanting to do this for a while, and I'm, I'm sure a lot of people have enjoyed it.
2: Well, actually... I could do it now. I probably couldn't have done it a fair while back. No, I was going to leave you alone. Yeah, uh, it's easy to talk about it now because uh, it's over and the clouds are clearing. Yeah. Onward and upward. That's it. Good luck, mate. Thanks. I would like Fire and Rain by James Taylor played at my funeral. One of the, the
1: classic hymns of How Great Thou Are. Led Zeppelin, as I exit the
2: the church and have a beautiful day playing
0: anything by bon jovi
2: something like only the lonely That's the sort of song that i uh, i turn up or crank up whenever it sort of comes on
0: personalize your funeral the way you like download turban brothers funerals memory maker app now from itunes or google play or visit turbanbrothers.com.au turban brothers funerals celebrating lives